This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. I don't watch as many movies as I did when I was younger, because when I was a little tight, uh mountains of West Virginia, that was kind of like our family time. We would go to different movies. Now, my parents that have a quality filtering system, we saw everything. And I don't want to embarrass them, but we saw Purple Rain, yes, when it first came out. So you can do the math. I probably should not have seen Purple Rain. Nevertheless, I did see Purple Rain. Uh, that was one of many movies that my parents exposed me to. But after a while, I began to understand and love the art, what, what movies can do and what they can mean. And as I began to learn more and more about the genre, I started to see different types of actors and actresses that, in a sense, impacted the movie. As I got older, uh, I don't so much look at the, the movie. I understand now movies are good, in my opinion, because of the directors. I haven't got as in-depth to know who the quality writers are, but I definitely follow directors. Um, but going back to the actors and actresses, after a while I started realizing there were some people who were stars and there are other people who are great performers. And I'm going to name a couple of actors and actresses to kind of give you some context what I'm trying to communicate. So, for instance, there's an actor named Will Smith or Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And this is the people who I grew up with, so I apologize if I don't name a younger actor or actress. But whenever I saw Arnold or Will in a movie, they would always be the exact same person. I don't care if it was Commando or Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger would always act the same thing. He probably would have the same lines from movie to movie. And after a while, you got familiar and comfortable because you kind of knew what you were going to get with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Will Smith or even Bruce Willis. I mean, they were always the same type of person. But in contrast, there were people who were great performers like Leonardo DiCaprio. Or a Johnny Depp. Now, you may not like them or their politics, but this is not what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm trying to communicate is they had a very specific skill where they could somehow get into the actor to such a degree that you didn't even know who on earth they were from movie to movie. There was a, uh, one of my favorite movies, not just because it was Batman, but there was a guy, he played the Joker in The Dark Knight. What was the guy's name? Heath Ledger. My goodness. When I saw him play the Joker, like, I really thought that he was the Joker. I I actually went back, and if you go back and watch it over and over, you see little subtleties and nuances of that character that are just so amazing. Like, for instance, every time he talked about his dad, if you watch that movie, he would give a different reason how his dad gave him these scars on his mouth. And I'm like, this guy is so into this role that he's making it come alive. And I think this is the challenge with the church. The church has to decide whether we're going to be stars or performers. And I'm not telling you where you need to land, but just understand the context. Is it the church's responsibility to, in a sense, every age, to morph, to change, 
so that it, in a sense, conveys something different every single time. I hope I don't bias this too much. Or are we stars? Is the church the same in every age? Does the church change? And that's a question you have to ask yourself individually. Because whether you know it or not, you represent the church, not this building. Regardless of how big or how small this congregation gets. You have to decide what you think the church is because you make up the church. Pastors come and go. Churches aren't great because of the pastor. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about this church. If you've ever been to a small group, you know this church is great. I'm, I'm honest. Who here, and I'm, this is, I'm serious this time, who here has been to a small group before? Raise your hand. If you've been to a small group or a Bible study, that, that's de facto small group, so you've been to a Bible yeah, Okay, I feel you in there. But nevertheless, if you've been to one of our small groups, whether it was a Bible study or a life group, you see why this church is great. We are so authentic, it's scary. We hurt each other, and we say we're sorry. We offend each other, and we say we're sorry. We make mistakes, and we work it out because things aren't going to be perfect. But this church won't be great because of, of a speaker or the worship team or even the quality of our children's ministry, not even our building, not even when we get to the point where we have our own building and we have our own weight room. And we can bring people in from off the street and say, hey, come work out and maybe you'll learn more about Jesus. No, this church would be great because of the relationships you endure and endeavor to make. The world will know that we are his disciples because of our love for one another. Not because of the size of the church. Not because of the size of the building. Not because of the great speaker. But it's hard, isn't it? It's so difficult to love your brother and sister. My wife and I were struggling loving each other this week at a wedding. We were at a wedding, right? I'm just, you know, uh, you know I've got to go here, Jackie. i got to keep it real. I try to be transparent with the hope that you'll be transparent as well. I would like to say we went up there to this happy celebration, and it was all peaches and cream, but we struggled. We had to pray about it. We had to consider what in the world were we doing and nevertheless, we made it through, and we grew stronger as a couple. We didn't give up. And I'm not saying we were the verge of divorce. I'm just trying to say we were on the verge of breaking fellowship. Because, you know, breaking fellowship is, is bad. When you say, hey, you know what, I'll just deal with them. Okay, I'll, I'll exist with them. But you know what, I won't be intimate. I won't be close. I won't hold hands. I won't hug. I won't kiss. I won't look them in the eyes. And that's the beauty of the church that God calls us to that level of intimacy with him first and then with your brother and sister. So my hope is for you today as we hear God's word, not that you just think that, man, maybe this church one day will be a great church. No, we're a great church right now. And you know why we're great? Because we're willing to do the courageous thing and open up our houses and let people in to look at us, to kind of judge us, to look at our faults and failures and still come back for more. And that, my hope, my hope is what you understand endurance to mean. And we just don't give up. As my catchphrase is, just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Amen. We're going to jump into text today, and it's the last um, sermon on this month's sermon series, Working for Rewards. And we're going to come out of the book of Matthew. And if you don't know the book of Matthew, it's written to a Jewish audience, and that's very under important to understand this context. Why? 
because you may read the book of Matthew and not understand who he was talking about. Now, the problem with Jesus' teaching, when we talk about hermeneutics and exegesis is there's a basic understanding that most scholars have going into the text. And that understanding is the readers knew what Jesus was saying. The readers knew what Matthew or Mark or Luke or John were communicating. But as you look in the text, you see they had no clue what in the world Jesus was saying 90% of the time. Isn't that not a fact? So you can't even come in with a premise that, in a sense, the, the readers understood what Jesus was saying. That's not how this thing works. Jesus was tell parables with the very reason of confusing his hearers. He would tell parables so that he could fulfill a prophecy, communicate God's truth, and in a sense, bring about judgment on the people who didn't really want to hear what he had to say anyway. God is smooth like that. He's like, I said it, but you didn't respond. God is communicating his truth, but in such a way that if you want to know what he's saying, you yourself have to open up and pray and cry out and say, Lord, tell me what you are saying. The disciples were privileged enough to hear what Jesus' interpretations of his parables were. However, the masses, by and large, had no clue what he was saying. They would go away saying, man, what he's saying is very confusing, but he sounds very smart. So today, as we break down God's word, we're going to focus on a parable that was designed to understand because he told it to his disciples and his disciples alone. And as the author wrote it to a Jewish audience, there should be some correlation that the audience understood, basically. But by and large, for them to hear, they had to have God's Holy Spirit. And because we're believers today, we do have God's Spirit. My hope is that you'll be able to understand what God's communicating. If you can't open your Bible to Matthew uh, verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verses 20 through 23. And I got a quote I want to read, and then we'll jump into the text as you're looking for that scripture. It says this, you see, what we do with what he gives us determines how much more we will get. God wants to give us more. And what you have now is not the end. And we're going to go into a text today that's going to sound very similar to a text we preached about earlier. We talked earlier about the talents. I'm sorry, we talked earlier about the minus, and we know a minus is like three months' wage. But today, we're going to talk about something different, talents. Now, the word talent simply meant weight. The problem is the Scripture doesn't clarify what type of weight it is. That's a key, because normally when you talked about a talent, you also gave a caveat, if whether it was silver, whether it was gold, how much it was. But here, he simply says talents. So really, he's conveying weight. In my interpretation today, I'm going to throw out there is influence. We, we go into a similar parable where an individual goes away, a king, a prince. But in a sense, he comes back to judge the individuals who receive what he had given them. They had a responsibility to handle the talents well. And those people who handle it well receive the reward. We talked about the minus before, and we don't know based upon the text, was it each person received one minus or did each person or server receive 10? The text is not clear. Here is very specific. One person received five. Another server received two and another one. And this parable comes in sandwich between a variety of scriptures and text. It's the Mount Olivet Discourse. It comes when disciples are looking at the temple 
and they're amazed at how beautiful it is. And Jesus responds and says, you know what? This whole thing is going to be torn down. And then he goes on the discord explaining when this would happen. It's crossed between these good servants, a parable about ten virgins, here about the talents, and then finally Jesus at the end separated the sheep and the goat. But remember, everybody who Jesus is talking to here is his disciple. That's important for the context. This is very controversial because there's some scripture here that makes it think like you can earn your salvation. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about stewardship and rewards. The question for you is how you handle what God has given you. I've been trying to hammer this premise home that we earn our rewards. We earn it. Every single reward we get for God, from God, we earn. It's just not that we wake up in heaven or we ascend to heaven, all of a sudden, we get all these rewards just because we got saved. No. Getting saved is just the beginning of your story. Every single thing you get after your salvation is because you earned it. And that's the word us Protestants don't like hearing. What? Earning anything. Why? Because it's saved by grace. Now, I will admit that it's God's grace that allows us to earn it. I'm not going to uh, miss that point. However, your responsibility as a believer is to yield to God so that he can work through you. If you're doing your own thing, then you're not doing God's thing. And if you're doing your own thing, just trust it. Know that is not the foundation for earning rewards. Let's jump into the text. In verse 20, Jesus is concluding almost this parable. He's kind of hitting the middle point, and the point I want to focus on is the rewards. And Jesus says, so he who had received five talents, he's referring to the servant, came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. So we clarify what talents mean, and now we understand this guy obviously was good with what he was given. He was so good with it, he doubled it. He invested it, and he received back. He, he gave back more to the master than what he had received. And as a result, man, good job. But let's look at what his Lord said to him. This is important. His Lord said to him, well done. These are the words we all want to hear. This is actually why we say live well and finish strong. This is why I constantly say God won't say well done unless you what? Done well. So in the end, when you see Jesus Christ for the first time, you have to understand how awesome a sight that will be. Remember John, the beloved, the man who basically was sleeping in Jesus' bosom to a to degree. When, when Jesus was at the table before he was crucified, John, John, the beloved, was so close to his bosom that he was leaning against Jesus. This same John. When he saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, passed out because of the awesomeness of Jesus. It's the same person. John's the same person. Jesus is the same person. He just looks a little different. But based upon what John saw, he is fainting. Jesus had to get him up, say, stand up. He had no more strength in him. His heart fainted because of the view he saw. Jesus is awesome. And on our day of judgment, we're going to stand in front of that Jesus. And we're going to hear that Jesus say, well done. He says this, good and faithful servant, 
you were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. We have to stop and think through this very quickly because sometimes I read it and I get messed up. I get confused because this guy was faithful. And that word faithful is the word I always translate as trust. It's the same word most people say believe. But the context is different here. Because he is saying the servant is faithful because of his behavior. The servant is faithful because of what he did with what Jesus had given him. He's not talking about believing him. Just believe in me and I'll say you're faithful. No. He's not saying, oh, you went to church every Sunday. No. He's trying to say you had these gifts and talents. And you stewarded them well. You invested in them. You took care of them. And because you cared about that, because you trusted me enough to invest in, I'm calling you faithful. Not just faithful, faithful and good. Now, this is the problem I've had growing up in my life. I've always wanted to be a good man. I'm sorry. I always like good guys. I want to be a good guy. I don't like, I'm just, this is just my life. I, that's how I'm wired. It may be some messianic complex. I may have some ego problem trying to work through. I know I'm a sinner, but I want to be a good man. Have you ever met somebody who say, well, they're basically a good person, right? Have you ever said that? They're a good person. But the Bible says what everybody is, what evil. Every one of us is evil in God's eye. So how here is he saying he's a good servant? And on the other hand, God calls us evil. Well, this goodness, agathos, is the word that is only attributed to God. And the reason why Jesus can say he's good is because this is someone who has God's spirit within them. See, once you're saved, God considers you a different class of being, a different class of person. And once you're saved in God's eyes, you are good. The problem is the apostuo. I believe, I trust, faithful servant. The challenge we have in reading this is if we're saved, God considers us good. But we're good because of him, not because of what we do. He's in us, and now we are considered good. The challenge is even though you're good, I didn't mean to point you out, I didn't mean to hit you like that. If you're good, the question is, are you faithful? What are you doing with what God has given you? We have responsibility to manage the talents God has given us. And I'll say it's kind of like a pun. I, we, we can wrestle around with the significance of talents, but the pun I think is applicable. What are you doing with the talents God has given you? I'm going to call somebody out, but I'm not going to mean to call out. This won't be in a bad way, and it won't be Jared. And I'm, Michael, you wore that Bears jersey today, you know... I'm not even going to get on you yet, but it's coming because you had the boldness to come up here with a Bears jersey, and it's almost football season. Understand it's going to be chaos in here after a little while. <laughs> Let me throw out this out here, too. I think the third Sunday in September will be our kickoff Sunday, and you're going to get some cards to pass out to people. We want everybody to wear their favorite Viking jersey to church. <laughs> you see how I did it in there? Your favorite. Now, if you don't come in a Viking, it's up to you. That's your risk. You know, you take it. You know what? But I'm just trying to say a lot of us will have Viking jerseys on. So just depending upon your level of being comfortable. I, I, was, I was kind. I was, I was authentic. And I totally forgot where I was. Let me jump back in. <laughs> so we're good. 
We're faithful. God called us to be good. And because, because God called us to be good, we can't claim this goodness for ourselves. That's his goodness. And we're faithful. This we're faithful and this is trusting him. It's not our own individual ability that we're trying to say makes us faithful. We're faithful because we trusted and obeyed God. Let me jump on to the next text. Verse 22. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. The reason why I hear the specificity in the port regarding the difference of volume of talents, the reason why that's important is because of this. Each person will receive from God based upon how they handle what God has given them. You will earn this based upon your ability. Once again, I was going with the talents. I remember, thank you, Lord. Because of the talent you have, Anthony Boucher is a man who we didn't know when he first came to this church had the ability to play drums. I didn't mean to call him out, but I just had to do it. He did not play drums. How long ago? Anthony, when did you start playing drums? Last May. Last May. Now, this is going to be deep. Last May, Anthony just started playing drums for the first time in his life. Hear me? Last May. What have you been doing all these years? Well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but get this point. Get this, this is deep. And he's great. We're like, oh, he's just a drummer. We, but no, he just started this. Now, Anthony has had this talent all his life. And when he gets to heaven, he's going to be held accountable for that talent, you see, uh, yeah, I broke the in. It wasn't my intention, but I'm just being honest. He's had this talent. There's a word that's called upocrypto. It's where we get the word kryptonite. It really means hiding your talent. It's super kryptonite, you get it? And if we hide our gifts and if we bury them, we cover up what God has called us to do. But Anthony, because he had a passion and we had a need in this church, he said, you know what? He'll do it. Who convinced you to do that? The Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the Lord impressed upon his heart <laughs> to begin to pick the drumsticks up. But, but um, this, this is what I'm trying to say. He has a gift. Clear as day. We look at him now. We're like, oh, yeah, Anthony plays drum. But this dude did not play drums a year ago. He just started he just started, but he's always had the gift. The question is, what gifts do you have? Are there gifts that you have that you're not using for the Lord? Are there gifts inside that are just waiting for you to step out and trust God? Some of you may be speakers or teachers. Some of you may be intercessors or bankers. Some of you may be politicians daycare providers. I don't know what gift you may have inside that's latent, but do you have a desire that just is in there that you haven't released or let come to fruition? Some of you are writers. Some of you are public speakers. If God has given you a gift, just make sure you're using it because you're held accountable for your gifts. I don't know if you're a five-fold gift person, two-person gift person, or one-person gift person. It doesn't matter. The point is, based upon what you have, you're held accountable 
for stewarding that gift. He goes on to say, look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well done. Here we go. Good and faithful. Servant, you've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And look at that. Because Anthony simply had the confidence in God. To start playing drums, which is the gift he had anyway. He's going to be made a ruler over some stuff. You, that's what the scriptures say? I believe what the scriptures say. God gave him a gift. He had the gift all his life. He had a choice when it came down. Do I, do I drum and risk embarrassment messing up, dropping my stick, taking extra time in practice when I got all this life I'm trying to live? Or do I take time and develop this craft so when I play, I play for the Lord? I can't do that. I can't keep on beat. It would be embarrassing for me to get up there and play the drums. But when Anthony does, it's like, this guy is a natural. You have similar gifts. And if you're faithful with it, God said, I will make you ruler over some stuff. Use your gifts. And it says here, I'll make you rule over what? Many things. Anthony, when we get to heaven, God's going to be like, Anthony, have all this stuff. Have all these responsibilities. And I'm going to look at God and say, God, he just played the drums. And you're giving him all that stuff. God, you are so awesome. There are gifts you have right now. And if you use them, you will be a ruler over many. Next point, well, next scripture, it says, he who had received two talents came and said, look, you did, uh, did I go backwards? Yes, I did. Let's get into the points and we're done for the day. Point one, Jesus' absence provided the occasion for him to appraise his servants' competency, loyalty, goodness, and faithfulness. So remember, Jesus is gone. In the parable, and we'll get to that when we talk about the words of Jesus. We'll go into more specific details on all the parables. But as we're talking about rewards today here, Jesus in this parable is gone. And while he's gone, us, the servants, have a responsibility to be good stupid what he's given to us. And while he's gone, he is assessing us. Now, we know Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything, right? We know that. We know God knows everything. And if you break down the detail, yes, the Father knows everything, or the Son or something. We're not going to get in that detail. God knows everything. I'm going to say that. But this life is designed to assess us. It's a test, someone said today. We are being tested to see if we'll be faithful to God. This test is designed just for you. It pushes on your weaknesses. This life is designed to pull on your strengths, to get you sometimes to say, man, I don't have it. Today I'm weak. And you should call out on God for help. But your responsibility is to never give up. You've been given gifts and talents, and they should never be put on the side. The Bible says tomorrow is not promised for anybody. And while you have time, work while it's day. I wish I could tell you, hey, five years from now, not only will we all be here, but there'll be more people with us. I can't say that. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. So while you have breath in your body, now 
you use it. I'm going to go back to a football analogy. It's one I use often. I remember in 1998-99, the Vikings season. At that time, we were, what, 15 and 1. We were going to the We were going to Miami. We were making songs about going to Miami. We didn't make it to Miami, but we were making songs about it. And during that NFC Divisional Championship game, we played against the, the Cardinals. And after that game was over, we got into the locker room after that game, and we were talking about the Super Bowl. Now, the problem is we had one game before the Super Bowl. We're talking about going to Miami. We're talking about what we're going to do. I'm getting my parents to buy and play. We're all going to Miami, and we still have to play against the Falcons. And during that game against the Falcons, everybody assumed, what? We're going to roll them over. We were thinking about all this. We were worrying about what was directly ahead of us. My hope for you is that you control what you can control. Today, you have an opportunity to be a great steward of what God has given you. Don't get so worried about what's going to happen in your five-year business plan, your career goals in the next, what you're doing with your 401K, your 403B, your IRA Roth. I don't know what you're planning for your future retirement, but think about this. That may never come. I'm not trying to scare you, but I've had conversations with people. They say, you know what? There have been people I know who saved all their life for their retirement, and they died the very day they retired. It's real. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to encourage you to work while it's day. Next point. Understand that this life is a test to reveal our commitment and competencies to Jesus. And I say this for context, but realize this life is to reveal what's inside of us. Once again, I said I play football. I always bring football. Eventually, I will not make a football analogy, but give me about 20 years, and then I'll start making another analogy. That's all I got right now in the little toolkit. Just saying. But nevertheless, it's like when you play a football game or a basketball game, and you watch film of the practice, and you're trying to see your mistakes and you get embarrassed because it happens in front of everybody. Nevertheless, you learn to make adjustments. We're supposed to be making adjustments. I went on this trip with my wife. I'll be honest. I'll confess my sin. I did not pray before I left. I was so off that once I got there, we had devotions. Did we not have devotions? We had devotions right before the wedding that morning. Because, like, I need the Lord. I'm off. I'm not hearing from God. I'm, that's the scariest place where you're not hearing from the Lord. You're used to hearing from him. I'm like, oh, Lord, save me again. I don't even know what's wrong with me. But we did devotions, and I felt back-centered again. We make mistakes as believers, but are you making adjustments? We have competencies. Are you using your gifts well? You're smart, strong, handsome, beautiful, influential. All those things can be used for God. Do you realize how influential you are? There are people looking at your life, whether you want them to or not. If you're on, who's on Facebook here? Raise your hand, put it down real quick. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see, that. I didn't see any of those hands. What are you doing on Facebook? Nevertheless, because you're on Facebook, don't you understand? People are watching your life. 
You have a weight to you. And are you using that weight for his glory or for yours? I can talk about social media all day, but you have a job. You have a house. You have cars. You have kids. Some of you have all, all these things. You have, people are watching your life. And are you stewarding that in such a way that people focus on Jesus and not you? Next point, we need to allow God to persuade us to allow him to empower us to be faithful with his assets. <laughs> Greg, we'll talk about that again. <laughs> allow God to persuade you. Have you ever been walking down the street and you think God may have told you to do something to somebody? Oh, God just spoke to me and said I should pray for that person. You're like, no, hey, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Or you've been walking down the street and God says, share your faith with them. You're like, that can't be God. No way that's the Lord because I'm not going to embarrass myself. Have you been in a situation where God is trying to tell you to do something that lines up with his heart and you just directly said, I cannot possibly do that? God is trying to influence you to yield your will to his. And this is happening daily. When you leave here, I guarantee you, you're going to see somebody who's going to look down, going to be sad. There's going to be somebody you're like, man, why didn't you show up to church today? God is putting stuff on our heart all the time for us to respond to. Sometimes it's simply to pray for them. Other times it's reach out to a phone call. Sometimes we go over to somebody's house. Sometimes we give money. Sometimes we let somebody else know, look, there is a problem, and God is trying to reach out to this person, and nine times out of ten, he uses you to do so. Are you willing to yield to God? Next point. You can be rewarded for your life's effort. You know, I have a conversation with a gentleman, and we were talking about there will be billionaires in heaven and millionaires in heaven. And the thought is, I think it's an erroneous thought, that some people think because you were a billionaire here on earth, you're going to be probably like a billionaire in heaven. And that's not in any way, shape, or form what the text conveys. The text doesn't convey that. The text conveys if you're faithful with a little, you'll get much. The text also conveys if you're faithful with much, you'll get much. <laughs> it doesn't mean you won't get much. But God's word is always balancing us. If we're poor, you need to go to the scripture that says you're rich in Christ. And if you're rich, you need to go to the scripture that says you need to be poor. God is always trying to change us and challenge us and help us to grow. It's God who we trust. And as long as we're reaching out to God for answers, then we're okay. But you have to understand at the end, you will be rewarded for your faithfulness, for your trustfulness or truthfulness, for your willingness to do what God wants you to do and not just what you want to do. We live in a day, who here watched the eclipse? Anybody besides, besides you, uh, David who went down to Nebraska? He didn't take pictures and he didn't look directly at the sun. So thankfully, he's, he still can see. <laughs> but he went down there. Nobody else saw. Did anybody see that? Nobody? I, yeah, because you didn't want to look at the, got you, you can still. There are signs in the sky. And there are people preaching Jesus was supposed to come back then. There are other people who preach he was supposed to come back when the four blood moons came. You probably will never hear me tell you when Jesus comes, because I don't know. But I do know this. The scripture we're in now says that the wise one is the one who's doing work when he comes back. 
So if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on this. Let's do work. And if Jesus surprises us, say, surprise, at least we'll be doing work. But if I'm the preacher that says, you know what, we got to get ready to come back. We need to get ready, get ready, get ready. And when he comes back, ah, we've sold everything. We have nothing to make. Let's go home to heaven. Then if he doesn't show up, then I'm a bad pastor. My job is to keep you pushing forward. You say, I need to take a break. Okay, take a break. Take a rest. I'm not going to say, go to Jamaica. I'm not going to do that, though. <laughs> take a vacation when you can. Do it. Seriously, take it. Rest. But understand, God wants us to be working. We have been in the last days ever since Jesus Christ was resurrected. And literally, he could have come back any time. But now, more than ever, understand things are happening prophetically that had not happened before in the history of the human race. And now, more than any generation, we need to be aware of one thing. He is, his return is imminent. Does that mean that we stop everything we're doing and just sell everything and go to the mountain of Duluth? And have, <laughs> have prayer service and fast and do all. We can't. That doesn't work. Because what if he doesn't show up? Then we'll be blaming me. And once again, the church will have another bad name because we've done this over and over at least 50 times. We don't know when he's coming back. But our responsibility is to be found doing work when he comes back. So my challenge to you is to work while it's day. One of the last points, our yieldedness to Christ on earth will determine our quality of life in heaven. <laughs> Greg and I will have a talk. It's, it's my fault, not Greg's. Your yieldedness to Christ on earth will determine your quality of life in heaven. There's a quality of life in heaven. People don't get this. In heaven, there will be people like, yes. I got the deluxe apartment in the sky. Yep, I moved up. Some of us will think that. All of us will be like, oh, no, I could have gotten all that. And I'm in the outhouse. We talked about, didn't we? We talked about our rewards being burnt up. These are reminders. I'm not, this isn't revelation. This is reminders of God did not take us to heaven when we got saved because we have something he needs us to do. Some of you will be on national TV this year and they'll look at you and they'll say, what's different about her? It's Jesus. They'll see you on your job and they'll be like, what's different about them? It's Jesus. Some of you go through ups. Some of you go through downs. And what's the point? God is trying to reveal himself in every possible scenario. John the Baptist came and he was eating locusts and honey and they said, he is crazy, man. This, that's what he said about John the Baptist. Then Jesus came and he said, he's a drunkard. He hangs around sinners. Jesus was like, look, I've done everything I can to reveal myself and it doesn't matter. You reject every single thing I do. God has had 2,017 years to reveal himself in a variety of different people. There will be one person who misses out on heaven who won't have the opportunity of seeing God. People see God through your life. When you're faithful, they see God. What does God look through the life of a former Viking, a bear lover? Oh my goodness, it has to be the Lord. A Packer lover. What does God look like in the life of a middle-class white woman? 
a middle-class black woman, a poor black person, a rich black person, a poor white person. God is revealing himself across the planet in a variety of ways. Whether you're Indian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. There won't be somebody who will ever be able to say, I didn't know God looked like that or responded in such a way. In the end, there will be people who go through the exact same thing you have in life. And some of them will be in heaven. And some of them will not. Some of them will have great travesties and tragedies that happen to them. Some will be in heaven. Some won't. Your responsibility is to reveal God despite the challenge. You can do it. His grace is sufficient for you. You've got to keep yielding to him. You will grow and you will change. And the things he loves, eventually you'll love. You just got to keep pushing forward. You can't get enough of God. You can't get enough of him. You got to keep pushing forward. He's waiting for you right at the finish line. And my hope is you hear these words. Well done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the rewards, Lord God. You've laid up rewards for us. You've, you've, you've commanded us and encouraged us to lay up rewards for ourselves, Lord God. There's nothing wrong with wanting rewards, Lord. But I ask you, Father God, that even though we know we're getting rewards, I pray our, our chief desire is to please you. Change us, Lord God. Encourage us. Help us to know that this is not just a made-up fantasy, Lord God, just some myths, but this is objective truth that is not changing. Help us be your church, Lord God. When a world is crazy, challenged, I pray, Father God, we'll be calm and light. I pray, Father God, the world will see our love, Lord. I pray if we have to do things in orthodox, unorthodox ways, Lord, because you've called us to do so, Father God, I pray we have the courage to stay committed to you. And I pray, Father God, once we step out there, we won't get proud. We'll remain humble, knowing, Father God, of our own issues first. We won't measure ourselves by them. We'll measure ourselves by you. And because of our need for more of you, Lord God, we'll stay humble and committed to your purpose and plan for our lives, for this community, for this church, for this world. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.